Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Bible study. It's good to see you all tonight. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. We're going to open our time in prayer and ask God's blessing. Father, thanks for uh, loving us and caring enough about us that you want us to know you more. And so tonight I pray that we can know you more. I ask that you would show us more of your heart tonight. I pray that we would respond in kind to see more of your heart. I pray that, God, you would open us and enable us to even love you more than we did when we walked into this place. God, I just thank you for uh, just the, the care that you show us every single day, provision over our lives, the, the life that you breathe into us. And thank you, God, for uh, just the patience and the mercy and the grace that you show us all the time. So tonight we just ask your blessing on our time here with you. Pray that you would speak, that we would have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying tonight. And I ask you, God, that we would respond to you for asking in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're looking for a response tonight. And uh, I'm going to talk to you about a response in a way uh, and, and the idea behind that. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to open up to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. So we're going to start in John 11. There's a few verses I would like to have us read in addition to the verse I have in John 11, to help us get a better idea of some of the context of what's going on. And so uh, I, I'm going to ask for some help here and some additional verses. Matthew 26.6 is an additional verse. Matthew 26.6, Mark 14.3, and John 12.3. In addition, another verse would be Luke seven thirty-seven. So Matthew twenty-six six, Mark fourteen three, John twelve three, and Luke seven thirty-seven. And we'll get to those hopefully in the time frame that we have here. But let's start with Gospel of John chapter eleven verse two. Would someone like to read that for us tonight? This Now, I was just going to ask you if that was in parentheses, and it is, yeah, and it's interesting because there's another verse that I used to preach on all the time when I would travel that is also in parentheses, it's uh, from the Gospel of Mark, and it's, uh, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about tonight except for it's in parentheses, but uh, it's it's from the Gospel of Mark, and it has to do when they came to arrest Jesus. And uh, I think it's Gospel of Mark's where it's at. But they came to arrest Jesus, and uh, when they came to arrest him, you know, the the stories in, in all of the Gospels, you have different accounts of uh, Peter chopping off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Are you, are you remember that? 
and there's there's other things that happened, but at the end of all of that and all of the the drama that took place when they were coming to arrest Jesus, in one of the accounts there's a parenthetical statement where it says that a young man ran away and he was naked. <laughs> okay. Now it was it was kind of a weird statement, and I, I suppose I should look that up and give you the actual verse, but I don't remember where it is, or I don't remember the exact uh, reference. But uh, I, I used to preach on that verse all the time because I, I talked a little bit about uh, his response to being there when Jesus was arrested. I, I spoke about uh, the fact that he ran away without his clothes, that that he was that in a hurry to get out of there that he didn't care if he was naked or not he didn't bother to fight for his clothes or anything like that and just left and so and so uh it's one of those statements that you know over the years that has been something that uh has always stuck with me that that was one of the most popular things i ever taught on when i traveled because normally when we read parenthetical statements, at least sometimes we skip over them. And I just remember not skipping over that one day and how God just revealed something to me about uh, what was being said. So the same thing happened as I was reading John 11. Uh, as I was reading through there, I came across this parenthetical statement also, and God spoke something to me through that. And so that's what I'm going to share with you tonight is what he spoke to me about there. So, John 11.2. So it, it, it describes, who's it describing? It's Mary, the sister of Martha, and Lazarus. That's who it's describing. And it says that she's the one that anointed Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. That's what it says there. And so we have no reason to believe that's already taken place because we're going to read the verse where it actually takes place in John. But it's such a famous moment. And and this was predicted by Jesus that it would be. But it's a famous account that John could say it before he actually accounts for it in his gospel. In other words, the story of it comes in John 12, the actual story. But because it was so well known in the early church that this happened, and it was so well known that this was something that that Mary did, that he was able to state that this is the same Mary that anointed Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? All right. The reason that's important because I just want to I want to speak that because this is something that was that was well known. This is something that was important. Uh, to the early church. And there are different reasons, different theories why it was important to the early church. But it was so important to the early church that John was able to say it before he actually says it. Because everybody knows it. All right. So let's look at some other accounts of, of someone anointing Jesus and wiping his feet or crying or using their hair to clean his feet or whatever it is. Let's look at some other accounts of that. So Mark, excuse me, Matthew 26.6. Anybody want to read? You may have to go beyond the verse I give you to read the whole account, but 
uh, if you could read there and kind of fill us in. Matthew 26, 6. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined the table. Okay, is there any other part to that? Oh, yes, sorry. Uh, and when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, uh, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Alright. So that's what I would say that Jesus, he predicted that this would be very famous. He predicted that everyone would know about this. Now, is this the same? Is this Mary that John talks about? We don't know. It's in the right place, Bethany, but we don't know if it's her or not. We're not sure. Could be. Probably is. But maybe not. Next one. Mark 14.3. Lee was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. A woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the Wow, so it's predicting, right? This was everybody's going to know about this. Yep. Now, why? Why is this? Why is this act so important that Jesus says that this is going to be known everywhere? People don't care about the poor. <laughs> well, what do you mean? Well, he's making a point about something that's a common excuse for people or a common concern or a common worry and they're missing like the real a common excuse they're missing like a, an offense because something that's important is real okay okay so she she came and did something that cost her a great amount she anointed Jesus and it was not only an act of worship it was not only an act of of uh, devotion an act of affection. It was all those things. But it was also really costly to her. And so it wasn't just words. It wasn't just uh, saying the right thing in the right moment. It wasn't just you know what, whatever we attribute to loving someone or showing affection to someone or whatever that would be. But she actually, it, it actually cost her something 
And she did it despite what people thought. And so it would be notable for all eternity what she did there. And so there has, there's something to be said for, and I, and I want to get back to Martha, something that you just said, but there's something to be said for uh, showing affection and devotion and love for Jesus. There's something to be said for that. And there's something to be said for really not caring what other people think. And and that's exactly what she did. The the account that Layla was reading said that she was rebuked harshly for what she did. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about that is, I mean, we hear people every day like, oh, what a waste. You know, somebody else chooses to do something with something that belongs to them. Mm-hmm. People are always criticizing, especially when it comes to something monetary or, you know, something that they think they could have done a better job with. Right. I mean, people are forever criticizing everything. So it seems to me like, you know, different days, same kind of people. Everybody's got something to say, some opinion, and they ain't got nothing to do with them. They should just shut up. Right. And, and, and what's, what I think is really important about that is that this person, this woman, she has her own reasons for doing what she does. And that's between her and Jesus. And so she does what she does, and there's something really prophetic about what she does, and Jesus brings that out later. But while she's doing it, I mean, I think it's, I think it's interesting that she doesn't come in proclaiming, thus saith the Lord, you're going to die. Thus saith the Lord, you are going to uh, be uh, crucified, and you're going to be buried. She didn't do any of that. She just came in and and showed her devotion. She just came in and showed her affection. She just came in and and did what she was going to do. And you know Simon the Pharisee is going to judge her. She knew Simon the Pharisee was going to judge her. She knew that. That was clear already. That, that, That was a given. But it wasn't just Simon the Pharisee that judged her. The disciples judged her. It's like everybody there judged her except for Jesus. And yet she still did what she was going to do because that's what was in her heart. And, and if, I think, and this, I, I think I want to, uh, I want to emphasize this. If you live that way, if you choose to be a person that you're going to live by what, what you really believe, what's really in your spirit, what's really in your soul, what's really in your heart, what's really inside of you, there's going to be people that judge you. There's going to be people that rebuke you harshly because they're not going to understand why you're bothering with whatever it is. Why would you do that? Why would you, uh, why would you uh, spend that kind of money on nard just to quote-unquote, waste it. How, how, what better use of nard could there have possibly been than to break it over Jesus' head and anoint him? What better use? Like of all the uses, of all the, the most expensive perfumes and oils in the world, to use that for him, what better use could there possibly ever have been? And she was the only one 
that could see that or understand it. And everybody else that was standing there judged it, including the disciples. And understand that. That's the church. That, that's the disciples, not the Pharisees, the disciples. Now, the Pharisees, I'm sure, judged it too, but the disciples judged it. There's something that, that really rises up in us, I think, sometimes when we see somebody. I don't know if we get uncomfortable with it. I don't know if we react because we didn't think of doing it. I have no idea what happens in us, but when somebody shows their devotion in whatever way it's going to be, and it could be through however many expressions you can think of, yeah, I can remember when people first started expressing themselves here at the church. There would be people that would go and they would, they would uh, wave flags or they would dance or whatever it was. There was always someone that would come to me to complain about it. They, I mean, and it, it never failed. There were always complaints. It's like, well, they're waving those flags. Somebody hits me in the head with it. I'm going to beat them right in front of the church. Okay, go ahead. Or, or, you know, this person dancing, you know, they really shouldn't be moving like that. Why not? And, and who made you the dance master? <laughs> I don't know. I think you could headbang, maybe. <laughs> well, we only have no grinding. We do have no grinding, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's because there's Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like people just started, like, really expressing themselves, and there's always somebody that wants to shut it down. People just started really exploring ways that they could show their devotion, show their worship in, in other ways. People want to shut it down right away. And and we're we're a bunch of losers, all right? And we're getting all upset about how's that happen? We're not We're not even... Like, even remotely, you know, like, religiously holy or anything, alright? And we're ready to shut it down. For what? I can use other examples, but I, I want you to begin to think about this and begin to think about our reactions when we see that in other people. The way that we, you know, that we, what's your first thought? What's our first reaction when we see that? And I want you to think about that. Your first reaction. Your first thought. Because we're not immune to this. The disciples weren't immune to it. You know, it's okay if we don't identify ourselves as a Pharisee. Simon the Pharisee, okay, we didn't react like him. All right, fine. But there's disciples. I hope we identify as disciples. And if we're identifying as disciples, well, the disciples reacted poorly to this. That's who we're identifying with in this story. So I would think that there's probably some of us that are reacting poorly when we're seeing other people expressing themselves either in ways that we don't, ways that we haven't, ways that we don't understand, extravagant ways. Yeah. Okay, John 12, 3. Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. 
and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. All right, in these three accounts, what's the difference? Two are the same, one's different. Now we know who they were. What? And we know who they are. They're identified. Yeah, oh yeah, in, uh, in John, it actually says it's Mary. Okay? But in the other two, it doesn't say who it is. And the other difference was what? It said that he was anointed over his head. In the other two, but in John it says anointed feet, and then there was some other action going on in John where she was wiping his feet with her hair, right? Okay. So do we know if Mark and and Matthew are the same story? It's in the right place, but the anointing was in the wrong body part, and there wasn't any hair wiping, feet wiping. And the other two. There was the objection, however, of those that were there, although only one person is mentioned in John, and that's Judas, because he wanted, he wanted to steal the money. Hmm. So what do you think? It wasn't at Simon the Pharisee's house, right? Yeah. Okay. So is it possible that there was another account where there was another woman that came to Jesus and that they poured the nard over his head? Possible. Well, why would they? I mean, yeah, <laughs> good point. Because once we're corrected, once we always get it. <laughs> Right, right, and and that was going to be my next point. That was going to be that was going to be my next point. Is that is it believable? That was I was going to ask the question. Is it believable that these guys could be in the same exact situation with the same exact occurrence, just about, and they did exactly the same thing again? Is that is that somewhat believable? It is to me. Right. <laughs> yeah, the 4,000 and the 5,000. You know, it's like, okay, he feeds them the first time. They see a miraculous, uh, just a miraculous multiplication of food. Second time, they're in the same exact situation. Lord, what are we going to do? Don't know. What are we going to do? It's believable. <laughs> it's fairly believable. At least Jesus was covered head, toe, and the nard. Nard. Head and toe.
All right. The the other one, uh, Luke seven thirty seven. Alright, so here's another account at Simon the Pharisee's house. What's different about this account? Tears. Tears. She's crying and wiping his feet with her hair. What else is different about this account? What's up with the woman, though? She's a sinner. Okay? So she's a known sinner. We don't have any reason to believe necessarily that Mary, the the sister of Martha and Lazarus, was a known sinner. All right. So there, quite possibly, this account could be even another different account. Yet that we haven't taken, to, we haven't really looked at. Because there's certain details about it that are different and certain details that are similar or the same. The main part of this account that I really want you to look at, though, is you have a notorious sinner weeping and washing Jesus' feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. And he allowed that to happen. Did he know he was going to get judged by Simon the Pharisee? Yes. Did he know that he was going to be judged by Simon the Pharisee's friends? Yes. Why did he allow it? (laughs) Why do you think he allowed it? Right? Why? What do you mean by that? Right. What if a person's expression is 
offensive. Do you understand what I'm asking? Because they were offended by this. He wasn't. So what does that tell you about Jesus compared to the people he was eating with? Not as easily offended. Not as easily offended. And I think in general, you really, if you look through the Gospels, you find that Jesus really isn't the offended type. And, and that's an important lesson for us. Because I think we fight being offended. I think we fight worrying about offending other people. Uh, there's, there's a whole model of church planting and, and, and ways of doing church is based on being the least offensive that you possibly can to the most people. And then you that's how you gather people. You become less the least offensive as possible to the most people. And then you can gather people that way. Like being offended? Um, help me out, people. Put out? Yeah. Yeah, it it is. It's a, an affront. It's a I I'm offended. I I don't know. I don't know what else to use for that. Right. I can't believe you just did that. I would never do that. I have never seen anyone do anything like that before. Well, yeah. And, and 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 so her behavior was offensive, and so was Jesus' reaction was offensive. And in hindsight, we can look back on it and say, oh yeah, well that was the Lord, you know. He did what he did. He does that. But the, the real lesson in this isn't looking back on it and saying, oh yeah, that was Jesus, okay. The, the real lesson in this, well, if we were in that situation, what's our reaction to that? And, and I'm coming at it, first of all, from just a bystander. Like, we're just sitting around, and we're having dinner, and all of a sudden, this woman, a notorious sinner, comes into uh, our dinner and proceeds to act in this fashion. That's offensive. Well, what if it's not? What if it's really Okay. And, and maybe we need to relearn what we consider to be offensive or not, or what we're worried about or not, or what we are concerned about or not. Maybe. Because I don't want to be in the boat with Simon the Pharisee. I want to be in the boat with Jesus. I don't want to be in the boat with Judas Iscariot. I want to be in the boat with Jesus. And I mean, I, I don't... I want to. I want to agree with him. I want to agree with what he's doing. I want to agree with this woman that came in and showed her devotion that way. I want to be in agreement with that. I want to be in agreement with her worship. I want to be in agreement with with her 
uh, sacrifice that she made there. I want to be in agreement with her thanksgiving for Jesus and toward Jesus. That's what I want to be in agreement with. And I don't want to be in agreement with the Pharisee. I don't want to be in agreement with the thief. I don't. And so we have to come to some kind of grips with that in our own hearts, and our own minds about what's it going to take for me not to be in agreement with the Pharisee or the thief. What's it going to take for me to be in agreement here with Jesus? Same exact circumstance. It's like an instant replay. Get a second shot. What's it going to take for me to be in agreement with Jesus? What's it going to take for me to be in agreement with the worship and devotion and affection that's being shown by this woman? What's it going to take? What would it take for me to be able to celebrate her visible and very obvious affection toward Jesus? What would it, what would it take for me to be in agreement with that? You know. I mean, I know for me. I don't know for you. I know what it takes for me. But I want to encourage you to figure that out for you. Because you grew up where you grew up. You, you had your mom who was your mom, your dad who was your dad, and you lived in a household and you, you did certain things. Certain things were allowed, certain things weren't. Certain things were good, certain things were bad, whatever it was. Your community, your neighborhood, whatever that is. You had, you had that, your family, your extended family, you, you have a certain sense of those things. What's it going to take for you to agree with Jesus in this? Those of you who are brought up in a church, what's it going to take? What's it going to take for you to agree with Jesus? What's it going to take for you to agree with this woman? Washing his feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. And they were dirty too. It wasn't like he washed his feet. Anybody here ever do a foot washing? Yeah. People, if you know you got a foot washing coming up, you wash your feet beforehand. Alright? That's what people do. So then, when you get to the foot washing, you just put your feet out, you know, you got your toenails done and everything. And, and you're ready, and they wash your feet, and it's all clean and nice. Well, these people, they, you know, they live on dirt roads and there's animals in the road and they step in things and they've got stuff all over their feet. And he makes clear that they did not wash his feet when, when he didn't wash his feet when he came into the house. They didn't offer him any kind of water or anything. So his feet were dirty. And she's washing his feet and all the dirt and whatever else is on his feet with her tears and, and wiping it with her hair. Yeah. That's affection. But that's an affection that's notable for all eternity. That's not just talking. That's not just, you know, theory of affection. That's actually affection. Now the word anointing that's used in these verses is just a really super common word. Just a really super common word that's used. It, it's no, nothing special. There's different words for anointing in the Bible. Uh, there's anointing like when it talks about how uh, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and he went about doing good in Acts 10.38. Well, that's a whole different word. 
or it talks about the anointing of the Holy Spirit on people. That's a whole different word. There's actually nothing sacred about the word that's used here. It's just an everyday word of pouring oil on somebody or on something. And so I want you to understand that there's the act itself, there's nothing particularly holy about it or sacred. It's not even described that way. Because they have the words to describe it if they wanted to describe it as a holy act. It wasn't. It was a personal act. It was, it was someone who wanted to show her devotion to him. That's, who, that's what it was. And so whoever this was, whoever each of these incidents, whoever they were, I don't know. Okay, I don't, I don't know. And it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're all Mary. It doesn't matter if two or three out of four are or, or whatever. It, it just doesn't matter. The point of the verses and the point of what I believe is being taught here is that, and I'll use Mary as an example, Mary loved Jesus. Jesus loved Mary. Jesus loved Martha. Jesus loved Lazarus. The Bible talks about that. That they were friends. And they were close. And the fact that they could show affection and that, that Mary could show her affection for Jesus this way, I think is awesome. That this, this notably, this notorious sinner, this woman could show her affection for Jesus in this way, is awesome. And whoever it was that anointed his head with the oils and, and the, the nard, that, that she could show her affection that way, is awesome. I mean, how do you show your affection for Jesus? I am really bad at showing affection. At least according to people that care, I guess. And, and I have to try. And, and over the years I've gotten better at it, but I grew up in a family that we didn't really show affection. And you may have grown up in a family like that where you didn't really show affection, there weren't really people that, and you didn't have any way to do that. If you come from, who came from a family that didn't really show affection? Anybody here? Yeah. It's hard. All of a sudden you're going to start showing affection? How do you do that? And June reminds me every now and then as she taps my hand. Nothing obvious. It's more like, like that. And I know, oh, I'm supposed to hold hands. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, all right. I can do that. I don't mind holding hands. I don't. I, I, I It's nice. I just wouldn't think of it. Uh, I, I, I don't think I ever saw my grandparents kiss Ever. I don't know that I ever saw uh, any of my family ever kiss. Ever. We didn't hug. We weren't huggers. Don, were you a hugger? Did you grow up a hugger? No. I know that feeling. Yeah. And so, as we look at, okay, well, how are we going to show our affection to Jesus? Well, some of us kind of need some remedial help. 
I think. Others of us, I mean, you just lavish, you're able to do that. You're able to just lavish that affection, lavish that, how you feel about him, onto him, or whoever it is that you happen to be talking to or with, or whatever it is. You can just do that. Others of us, we, we don't have that free-flowing kind of affection that just bubbles out of us. And so we we strategize, or I do, a little bit about how am I going to show my affection. And when I say strategize, I don't mean figure out ways that aren't embarrassing to me. I mean really just figuring out ways that I can express myself to Him. I mean, I started writing poetry to Jesus, and that poetry has turned into some of our songs that we sing because I just want to show affection. I didn't know how to do that. Her writing poetry was affectionate, so it did. Or, uh, you know, whatever it is. I, I mean, I, you know, there's been different times and different phases I've been through where it's like I really want to tell Jesus I love him. How am I going to do that? And, and, and God, give me wisdom. God, please still give me wisdom on how to do that. But one of the biggest things that had to happen is I had to stop worrying about what people thought. I had to stop worrying about getting judged. I had to stop worrying about people, you know, thinking the worst or whatever it is. I had to just get over it. And get over the lies and get over whatever else I need to get over and just do what I need to do. If I need to get on my knees, I need to get on my knees. If I need to lay out, I need to lay out. If I need to sing in the Spirit, I need to sing in the Spirit. If I'm going to laugh, I'm going to laugh. If I'm going to cry, I'm going to cry. But I can't worry about what's going on around me or what anybody else wants me to do or thinks I should do or whatever else because I'm going to miss it if I do that. None of these stories would ever have taken place. And each one of these things are recorded for a reason because it was significant to them. And it was significant to the early church that they understood what this woman did or these women did. It was significant to them. So much so that this was repeated over and over and over again through the history of the early church. That anywhere the gospel was preached, anywhere where they were establishing churches or establishing Bible studies or establishing whatever they were establishing, this story was told and recounted. Even before it was written down, even before the gospels were even conceived of, this story was being told over and over again. That's how important it is. And I doubt we've ever looked at it that way. I doubt we've ever thought about it that way. That this is that important that for all of eternity, notable for all of eternity, is this kind of affection and this kind of devotion to Jesus. In the face of judgment, in the face of whatever, of harsh rebuke, in the face of all of those things, this would be notable for all of eternity. It's that crazy important. And you may sit there and think, well, why are you just harping on this one thing? Because this is the one thing. This is the one thing. That, that if you were an early believer, this is the one thing that if you lived in the first century, this is the one thing that they came to your town and started a church, you would hear this story for sure. You would know this one. And we don't tell it enough. We just don't. 
because we're still too worried about people thinking the wrong thing. We're still too worried about getting judged. We're still too worried about how it looks. And if we heard this story, maybe enough, maybe we wouldn't be that worried about it. I don't know. So I'm going to go back to the original question. This is how I'm going to end it, that I asked earlier. And that is, what do you need to do? What do you need to do to come into agreement with Jesus? And to come into agreement with with this woman or these women who just showed their affection and poured their hearts out. What do you need to do? What's it going to take? Let's do what it takes. Let us do what it takes to come into agreement with Jesus tonight. Anybody have any comments or questions before we go into a time of prayer? I just want to just take a moment. Anybody? My what? All right. Hmm. Oh, I mean, I've been sharing it. Like, you know, it's for me. I have to come to a place where I'm willing to sit down and really, really think about. How I'm going to do it. How I'm going to show how I feel. And what that's going to look like. And what that's going to require of me. And and like everybody else. Fighting that whole idea of. Uh, how's that going to look? I don't care. Fighting. Well, what's that person going to say? I don't care. What are they going to think? I don't care. Are people going to walk out of this service. Because I look like a crazy person? So be it. So be it. And I've got to get to that point. That's what it's going to take. It's what it's going to take. And and so for me, I think there's two sides to it. There's a freedom side. There's a liberty piece to it that that I need over my own life that I think I'm at least approaching. If not there, but really approaching. But there's also the other side of it where something that doesn't come naturally to me I really have to account for that. So, that's kind of what I've been talking about a little bit. What's that for you, though? You know, when we gather on Sundays, if we all just started loving Jesus and showing our affection, that would be awesome worship every week. He's just awesome. Maybe some weeks we might cry, and some weeks we might laugh, and some weeks we might dance, and some weeks we might get on the ground and roll around. That's okay. It's all good. But it'd be awesome. All right, let's pray. I'm just going to take a few moments to respond. And uh, I I just encourage you to. Whatever you need to do tonight. I already outlined what I need to do. So 
I'm going to do that while we're praying. But I want to encourage you to do what you need to do. What's it going to take? And take hold of it. And, and really just make a change before you leave here tonight. So just take a moment right where you're at. We want to agree with Jesus tonight. We want to come into agreement with these women who just laid their hearts out to Him. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. God, I ask you to soften our hearts. Just soften our hearts. Because God, I pray we'd be just a people that really could express our love to you our affection to you, our devotion to you. Some of us are are just so able to express ourselves, it comes so easily. And others of us, we we struggle and it's, it's a little more difficult. But God, I thank you that nothing is impossible with you. And I pray, God, as as you do a work of liberty over our hearts and over our minds, a work of freedom over our spirit, that we'd be set at liberty from the expectations of others, set at liberty from the judgment of others, set at liberty, God, from, from what other people really think or care about or whatever that is. I pray a freedom over us to just express ourselves to you. Whether we sing, whether we dance, 
whether we laugh or cry, we paint something, we draw something, we write something, whatever it is, God, I just pray that we would express the love and the devotion that's in our hearts. Release it, God. I pray for a release in each one of us. Yeah. Release in each one of us, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thanks, God. Draw us closer to you. Draw us closer to you. You love us. We love you. Thanks for that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. Amen. Amen.